Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. As we turn to scripture, let's pray. Pour out your spirit, O God, so that these ancient words might take on new life before our very eyes, so that we might see something new of you, learn something new of your way. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, which tells us about the earliest churchgoers, the early Christians. It comes from chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a female slave who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men, these Jews, are disturbing our city and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us, being Romans, to adopt. Or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten and with rods. And after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The church gets a lot of mail. Some of the mail we get is the stuff that you'd expect. Bills, publications from the denomination, annual reports from local nonprofits, plenty of junk. Churches are not spared of endless Oriental Trading Company magazines, if you were wondering. And then there's the mail. We get the thank you notes from our mission partners in the wake of an offering we send or volunteers who have supported their work. And then there's mail that sometimes feels a little personal, like materials from people who disagree with us and believe that if they send one more flyer or one more book, that'll be just the thing to help an entire community change their beliefs. Or mail that, are, that includes requests for assistance, whether that's money or prayers or a suggestion of readings related to some certain topic. The mail that arrives in our mailbox says a lot about who people and companies beyond this community think we are and what they think we do or what they think we should be doing. So some days our stack of mail would tell you that we're just like any other business with bills to pay and services to seek out, essential duties to perform. Other days your mail would tell you that this is a community of people getting it all wrong. This is a community that needs to be saved from itself, the mail might say. And then there's the mail that gets it all right, assumes the right things. And Friday afternoon was one of those mail days. <laughs> Late Friday afternoon, a big orange package arrived to the church. It included a long letter. There was nothing about bills, no request for money, no condemnation of our theology or foreboding predictions about the second coming. At the top, it just said, a request for a sermon. I've never received a piece of mail like that. And it began, Dear Northridge Presbyterian Church, Praying this letter reaches you in the very best of heart, mind, body, and spirit. Amen. Now, I was slightly skeptical, but I kept reading. It sounded like someone was writing their very own epistle to this community. Well, after that nice little intro, the letter didn't waste any time getting to that request about a sermon said, please answer the following through a sermon. What would Jesus do about slavery burdened on Americans even in this, the year of our Lord, 2022? Well, that's not a tall order at all. But it piqued my interest because today's scripture was rattling around in the back of my mind. So, of course, I see this male asking for a sermon about slavery and I am immediately 
drawn to the story we just read about the slave girl. Now, the letter went on. It was seven pages. But when it got to the end, the sender was finally identified. Abimel Sanchez Sr., who goes by the nickname Applejacks. Applejacks is also known as prisoner 1410498 in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice System. I am not making this up. You could not make this up. I know that scripture is a living word, but it never ceases to amaze me when ancient words take on new flesh and new life right before me. And it made me rethink everything I had been thinking about the scripture that we just read. Scripture doesn't record their prisoner numbers, but Paul and Silas are prisoners nonetheless. How they got there is an interesting story. One of my colleagues tells it this way, Paul and Silas were Jewish followers of Jesus, as the early Christians were, even though they didn't call themselves Christians. But they had come to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and they were on the go. They had traveled from Palestine by ship and by foot, west and north into Europe, north of Greece to Philippi, a thriving coastal city. And they were there. They were doing all of this because they believed that God wanted them to be there, to tell the story of Jesus, to tell about his life, how he had taught and healed, how he was arrested and tortured and executed, how he had risen from his grave and was alive and present in the world, and how because of him, the world was now a new place. That this kingdom of God that they had been talking about was no longer a dim hope for the far-off future, but a very present reality, right here and right now. And so they're traveling, and they meet this wealthy woman named Lydia. And they tell Lydia this story about Jesus, and she believed it. She was baptized by them, and then she even took them into their home Now, this all seems so manageable, right? But this is just how we get to today's scripture. And this is where the story starts to unravel and the trouble creeps in. In Philippi, there was a slave girl. Everyone knew her because she was just so different, so peculiar, and people couldn't make sense of her. And so they said all sorts of things, but what they said most often was that she had an evil spirit, a demon. Today, we might say that she was living with some sort of mental health issue, but we can't be sure. Her behavior was unpredictable, outrageous some days, funny other days. You could ask this slave girl to predict the future, and usually she'd have a humorous answer. And so her owners got an idea. They said, maybe we could make money off of that. We'll charge her for fortune-telling services. And boy, did they. They exploited it. They rented her out as entertainment for business conventions. Anywhere there was place to set a booth for fortune-telling and palm-reading, they did it. And she earned them a lot of money. The arrangement was all well and good until Paul and Silas came along. 
And that girl was fascinated with Paul and Silas. She'd just follow them around, shouting things about them as they went. These men are slaves of the Most High God. It was a problem, really, and just plain annoying. Everywhere they went, every time they tried to start a conversation, she was there interrupting and shouting. And so finally Paul snapped. He just had enough, and so he shouted right back at her, Stop it. In the name of Jesus, whoever you are, whatever in her causing that bizarre behavior, come out. Go away. Then she got quiet. She got still. Whatever was possessing her, driving her, enslaving her, it was gone. And so also was her bizarre behavior, her craziness, her entertainment value. That demon was gone, which meant so was her owner's prophet. So you can imagine how angry her owners were. So they dragged Paul and Silas, the men who had done this, to the marketplace in front of the magistrate. These men are disturbing our city, they said. And besides, they're Jews. They're not Macedonians. They're outsiders. They are not like us. And that was enough to rile up the crowd who started to attack Paul and Silas until the magistrate ordered them beaten down and thrown into jail. And so Paul and Silas are condemned to a dark, cold prison cell, and they stay awake all night praying and singing hymns to God. And then an earthquake comes and shakes the very foundation of the prison so that the chains around their ankles were dislodged from the walls and the doors all flung off their hinges. The jailer hurried to check the damage and discovered what I imagine is the worst thing that could happen to a prison warden, a major jailbreak. Prisoners all free, running loose, is so distraught and dismayed by the thought of these chains having come unfastened that he's about to fall on his sword. Death is a better option. But then there's a voice in the dark. It's Paul once more, not singing hymns, but shouting, hold on, don't do it. We're still here. Well, that rattled the jailer. And so he can't help but to ask what Paul and Silas are all about. Why would you stay? Why not run away? And then the story goes on, and we know that the jailer and his family are all baptized, and they invite Paul and Silas into their home, and they all sit down and have a late-night supper. They eat and drink and share stories until the wee hours of the morning. Just all seems a little surreal, doesn't it? Fortune-telling, a demon, exercised, a flogging, prison, an earthquake, family dinner, baptisms. I mean, we're bordering on a Game of Thrones episode. (laughs) These last few weeks, we've been exploring what it means to follow in the way of Jesus so that our lives might reflect the path that he forged for us. And if you are wondering how this text that seems so exceptional, so extraordinary, has anything to do with daily life, you're not in the wrong. What could a story as extraordinary as this tell us about what it means to be empowered 
by our faith, considering that this is something that I'm imagining none of us will experience in our lifetime. I'm of the nun generation, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E, as in the generation most likely to check none when asked about religious affiliation. And that is true of many people in my life. There are lots of people in my life who will never get up to come to church on a Sunday morning and quite frankly don't understand what I do or why anyone would alter their weekend plans to come sit in worship or participate in the life of the church. I love that I have a community like this in my life because in my experience, they ask the very best questions of my faith because there are no assumptions. And so I've been asked before by people I love, why don't you just pick a cause and work for a nonprofit? What is it about the church? And so this week, I kept thinking about those questions as I thought about what it means to be empowered by faith. Because we know it is possible to act in meaningful ways without a religious affiliation. It's possible to commit yourself to a cause or to many causes and never, ever speak of religion. Empowerment isn't something that belongs to us Christians at the end of the day. Many people are empowered to act in this world. And I know many people whose actions are bettering the world, even though they have no religious convictions attached to them. And so all week I was just wondering, is empowerment any different for us who are Christian than it is for my friends who are not interested in religion? Which is part of why I love today's scripture, because I think it gets to the heart of why religious empowerment is different than other kinds of empowerment in our world. Now, this story is full of people who are empowered to act. The slave owners were empowered to create a business. The slave was empowered to live a life free of a demon. The jailer was empowered to keep society decent and in order as he went about his daily job. I bet if we knew more of these characters, we might find that they were empowered to act beyond their uh, daily commitments. They probably all had causes beyond their careers. Had in, they were invested citizens. But think about how angry the slave owners were when they couldn't exploit the slave girl for their own profit anymore. Her well-being was a threat to their livelihood. Or think about the jailer who wanted to kill himself at the thought that a prisoner might have escaped. It's hard not to notice how different Paul and Silas are in this story compared to those around them. It's Paul and Silas who heal the slave girl. It's Paul and Silas who stay in the prison even after the chains have been unfastened. It's Paul and Silas who accept a dinner invitation from the man who'd thrown them in jail in the first place and struck up a conversation about what God had done in their lives. So who's empowered 
in this story. I think they all are. It's no different than how our society is full of people who are empowered to act, all for different reasons, but empowered nonetheless. And that's why Paul and Silas have such a lesson to teach us. Because Paul and Silas are not threatened by the liberation of others. In fact, their actions are fueled by the same desire that Jesus had for those around him to be released from their burdens, their addictions, their illnesses, their despairs, all of it. They are acting from this core belief that they believe that the good news was never meant to be hoarded. It was meant to be shared. So the thought of their neighbor receiving the same good news that they have is not threatening. It's liberating. When faith is the thing empowering our actions, we're not threatened to imagine a world where our neighbors can experience the same security the same prosperity, the same respect and dignity that we seek for ourselves and for our children. In fact, that's the very thing that fuels all we do as we go about acting out God's vision for the world. That letter that came to the church on Friday from Apple Jacks went on to detail his good time and work time record in the prison and the working conditions of prisoners down the road about two hours from here, and some suggestions about amending some Texas laws. Now, I do not know enough about the laws he is referencing. I haven't had time to even do any research on that, Um, and there are many of you who are more knowledgeable about Texas's criminal justice system than I am. So, I am not commenting on that, but what struck me about this piece of mail is what he assumes about who we are and about what we are about as a community of faith. The assumption inherent in that seven-page letter was that we will respond because the well-being of others is at stake. And you know what? He's right. That is the thing that empowers the church to act in this world. That is what Jesus showed us with his very life. That is the example that Paul and Silas embodied as they went about their ministry. And that is what we are to embody if we want to follow the risen Christ. Tomorrow I'm going to write back to Apple Jacks. And I hope to learn more of his story. But his letter was not just to me. It was to you too. It was to Northridge Presbyterian Church requesting a sermon. And it was St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. So I wonder what's empowering you to act these days. Is it a social issue? Politics? personal gain? Or is it something deeper? Is it good news that is at the core of your very being? Is it the conviction that the good news is just that? It is so good that you have to share it. My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we all become preachers who proclaim that our liberation is 
always bound up with that of our neighbors, just as Jesus taught us. So let's go preach. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.